Okay. Ugh. All right. All right. Um, well, that was a lot. That was overwhelming to to look at. Yeah. I just I didn't expect to see that in the sky. Yeah. We we got a whole city up there. It's pretty insane. Oh. Well, I guess I really was asleep for a hundred years. Yeah. Uh, that that accident was pretty serious. Are you gonna be okay to record? I guess it's just like everyone I know has died and there really is no world for me out there only podcast was was that an only zool reference yeah nice yeah going on everybody my name is sati miele and i'm brock berenson and you're listening to so you're an artist it's the only podcast dare i say it where we ask the all too important questions so you're an artist and what is your real job that question has still not been answered we are 61 episodes in and we have not gotten that question answered <laughs> yeah it, it's a bit concerning I like how us two are both in like, you know, art, like creative industries and just imply (laughs) we don't have have real real jobs. jobs. Well, I mean, like, especially if you are an actress or an actor, you have to have another job before your career takes off. So you have to go be a waitress or something. I mean, being a waiter is a classic one. Nowadays, it's working. Uh, a lot of lot of people work in casting offices or script readers and stuff like that. Right. Let's address the big elephant in the room: the two years between episodes. Yes. Yes, yeah, a long two years. But it felt like we were doing stuff, like actually recording things in between. But we weren't. No, we weren't. But there's just been like there's been this gigantic two year, two year and a couple months gap because I think our last episode was in like December of 2020. It was December 18th. December 18th. We've, wow. We've done, there's been a lot. I mean, we've shot a lot of projects together yeah. uh, since then. We'll, we, we will, we're going to dedicate an episode to talking about all of these because there has been so much that has happened in the last two years. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that did we, didn't we record like a dumpster fire episode Yeah. during and those two didn't... years and then we just never uploaded it? We just never did anything with it. So somewhere there is a f- file of us just shooting talking shit, shit yeah. for two hours. I have no idea where that is. I like. Let's see. What do we do? Just in the in terms of the highlights for what you guys can expect. We shot a short film, a chaotic improvised short film up at your house. Yeah. Well, it wasn't really improvised, but some of the planning was improvised. Yes. Yeah. No. The act. Well, the lines were mostly improvised. There was a script, but they kind of yeah we just to to help the performances better we just kind of just decided to go improvise just just go with it just just do whatever comes natural yeah i would say in that sense it was improvised but as in in the exact sense of improvisation yeah the 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 acting was improvised but it wasn't like oh we have a camera up here let's shoot something you oh, know. oh no 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 no! There's a lot of there was a lot of pre-production that went into this, and we uh, learned a little bit about prop building and yeah. design and stuff like that. So we will go into that. 
Uh, but, you know, fuck all of that. Let's jump right into introducing our guest. Because, You're just going like, to swear like that? I am just going to swear like that because I've been asleep for a hundred years, Brock. No, that's true. I do hope you guys did watch. I, this. I, all of this is not going to make sense if you didn't watch the promo for this podcast. You true. need to go back. It's on, it's on our Instagram. Just like, what, two and a half minutes or something? Two and a half minute little promo for, for the podcast coming back. We did a fun little sketch. I'm not going to say anything else about it, but it involves being asleep for 100 years. So for our 61st episode, uh, we interviewed a collaborator and friend of Satya's. Her name is Rachel Kaftan. Rachel is uh, a writer, actor, and producer, and we spent a great deal of the um, of our interview talking about her newest project, which is Boy Vey, the play. It's an 80-minute long one-woman show that she wrote, produced, and stars in. Um, and we talk about like the wonderful team that worked with her. We talk a little bit about her uh, coming up with the story. I had the pleasure of working on it as the projection and sound designer because there are projections involved. It's a modern, very, very modern show, people. Um, and then uh, Brock later joined the the taping team uh, when we taped the live performance. Yeah, uh, you you did sound yeah. and yeah, also camera A, camera A, camera A. I thought you were gonna it's say sound. camera angles, <laughs> and I was like, no, you did <laughs> camera <laughs> angles too. Like, yeah, that's just yeah, I did no. one angle the whole time yeah. while I sat I there were, and looked at my recorder. Talking to Rachel was like, this was the first time we really interviewed someone in a long time. And it felt um, it felt really good to kind of get back into it again. I think like there were some points where I was like, oh, shit, I don't think I have a follow up question to this. But but uh, I think we, we went like we we'd found the right amount of depth, I think, in the conversation that like I think I was looking for personally. Right. Um and uh, I don't know. I think we danced around the show mm -hmm. to a point well enough where like people oh, would want to yeah, see if it sure. would spoil anything. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it definitely turned into more of a uh, conversation between friends talking about a subject that one person is very passionate about because that is her work. We both, both of us, having seen this show, um, definitely recommend you go check it out. It is now playing at the Santa Monica Playhouse. This show is very, very fun, even going into it not knowing what to expect. I think, yeah, it's it's uh, it's funny, it's entertaining. At the same time, it's also insightful. And yeah, there's some pretty yeah. like, oh shit, like some you know some yeah. moments, some that very you're... some very very emotional moments for sure. Yeah, some really emotional moments. All right, so uh, Boy Ve is playing this weekend and next weekend at the Santa Monica Playhouse, and be sure you catch it either this weekend or next weekend because it is closing. It is now in its last two uh, or its last four dates. Uh, March 5th at 7.30 and March 6th at 2 p.m. Um, and then the following weekend, which is uh, Saturday, March 12th at 7.30 and March 13th at 2 p.m. If you catch that matinee performance. Um, you can get tickets at the Santa Monica Playhouse website at www.santamonicaplayhouse.com forward slash boyvey, spelled B-O-Y-V-E-Y. Rachel did a really wonderful job, especially for her, you know, one, like, for first, you know, one woman performance, uh, one person performance, you know, this, like, 80 minutes long of just kind of carrying this show. Um, it has received, it has uh, been received really well by audiences so far. Uh, so, again, highly recommend you go check it out. Please go check it out. Go watch this thing. Yeah. Go do it. Show some support. 
And um, I even recommend that maybe after that you come back and skip all this bullshit at the beginning and listen to the interview again so you can get some more insight into some behind the scenes of the play. Because we talked about some, but we didn't want to spoil a lot. Well, Brock, I don't know if you got anything else. I know uh, even though it's been 100 years, I'm I'm still pretty damn tired. So I might go back to bed. Okay. I'm I'm going to go play with my robot dog. You have a robot dog? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Let's do the interview. I don't know why we did that bit. <laughs> so dumb. We'll do a whole intro where we talk about, you know, your show and introduce the folks to it so we can just... Oh, okay, I thought for some... I thought this was part of it. Whoops. No, no, it is. It is. No, it is. Oh, but okay. like, we're, we're going to record a separate intro where we introduce people more into into what Boive is. Yeah, when did it open? January, right? The show opened on January 22nd and it goes through March 13th. So it's actually going to close here pretty soon. We've got two performances this weekend um and then just march 12th and 13th the week after okay we'll go ahead and and release this real fast then so we can just <laughs> go ahead and just yeah. blast those performances promote it promote yeah a hundred percent yeah why not we got to get people in those seats i mean how has audience reception been so far it's actually been really good like the past few weeks yeah. somehow nice. like i would say like late february which is kind of annoying because it's like you know we had all of we had some of january and all of february it's like it was really small audiences but Mm -hmm. makes sense with like mask mandate lifting not that you know people are still supposed to wear masks when they go see it but it's like people are starting to feel more comfortable going to public places now um so that's definitely been reflected in the past few weeks with much bigger numbers of people coming and a lot of randos too like a lot of random people who i do not know Oh, that's sick. And how did nice. do they like it? Are you getting good, good, good reviews? I don't know. There were, I remember there was a performance where two women who looked around my age, but I definitely did not know them. They like gave me a standing ovation right at the end. Oh, so nice. that felt really good. But in that same audience, there were also like a ton of, I think, like, I think a ton of old Jews. And I wasn't <laughs> sure if they loved or hated it. <laughs> um yeah it'll remain a mystery maybe with regards to that like there is i mean well you like i'm not jewish myself but i think like in terms of the amount of satire and stuff you threw in there was seemed fine i like the um where you're talking about how like a lot of the traditional uh like like prayers and the torah reading you know with your um with your bat mitzvah like that was just kind of out the window but a lot of this other you know other stuff you were focusing on um was just kind of like in your head all the time and these are all very specific references to the show that I feel like people have just got to see. So, guys, see Boyve, then revisit the podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I want to ask, because this is something that, like, when people have tried to... Because a couple people have asked me, like, oh, what's Rachel's show about? Um, how, would you, how would you describe it? And, like, what's your logline for the show? Because a lot of the time I'm like, oh, it's about her trying to reconcile her love life with, like, generational trauma from the Holocaust. And um, I think the reaction I've gotten out of most people is, like, I have to see it, like, to get what that means. So, I mean, how would you... That was my reaction, sure? too. Yeah. yeah. But then it like, makes sense. Understand. Once you see the show, you're like, oh, it yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Once you 100%. see the show, it makes more sense, and it isn't as jarring as mm. the logline. Um, it's funny you ask that question, because that was one of the very first things that I had to do in 
you know, after writing the show um, in like creating a big crowdfunding fundraiser, you know, to have people support my yeah. show. Um, and the log line was a really important part of that. Um, so what I've stuck with, and it's changed here and there a little bit, but what I usually say is it's an autobiographical story about a Jewish girl's quest for true love. And in so, like on her quest, um, discovering the bizarre connections between her misbegotten dating life and inherited family Holocaust trauma. Um, and it's always that last line that is the big bomb and people are like, whoa, what, what, what? No, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. Um, but, but it gets people to see the show. It brings them in. And it it's and I mean, to be I think I mean, the way it was written, uh, you did it quite well. I like I it, it flows, it meshes the um, you know, the connections are made really clear, um, mm -hmm. you know, Thank in you. the uh, like both the physical demonstration and also the, um, you know, all your, I guess, giant monologue because no <laughs> basically what it is. Right. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I got to ask the basic question, but like how, you know, where to the really, to the roots of the idea, how did that begin? So I would say it begun, oh man, there are different ways I could answer this question. I mean, technically I, it began when you were, uh, what, 14 years old or no, six, right? According to the show. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Basically, it started with my obsession about the Holocaust at a very young age. But I, um, you know, since getting into acting, a lot of my kind of acting muses like Lily Tomlin and Whoopi Goldberg, um, you know, it did come from solo performance. Mm. And it's always been very intriguing to me. And I, maybe that's from, you know, being an only child growing up sure. and kind of creating worlds on my own and that being like this zone of comfort for me. Um, but I've always known that I wanted to create some kind of solo performance art um, and that I wanted it to be related to my family's history because of this kind of weird obsession, fascination growing up, but I was very shy to, you know, dip my feet in any of, you know, that in terms of like Holocaust related art, because I know it's very touchy. And I also know that solo shows kind of get a bad rap for, you know, being too serious and indulgent. Yeah. And, you know, this is my story, like, welcome. Like, I didn't want yeah that way and so I knew I it was like I knew I wanted it to be funny but I was like how do I do that with my family's holocaust history because there's nothing particularly funny about it um and then yeah, some would say there isn't <laughs> and some would say there's like nothing funny about the holocaust huh head scratcher anyways yeah. no <laughs> but um but then and this is one of the aspects of the show that I don't really want to spoil Sure. Uh, but I had, I, I experienced an incredible heartbreak my junior year of college um, in that it was very shocking, kind of out of nowhere for me um, and related to my family's history on some level. Right. Um, and it freaked me out. And, you know, I had my many hours and nights of crying 
And then I started like connecting the dots. And I was like, this is kind of weird. Like I'm Jewish and this happened to me in my love life that's somehow related to my family's history. Oh my God, that makes me think of like when I was first trying to flirt with a boy, that's when I learned who Hitler was. And like all these other weird connections. Oh, when I went to my high school boyfriend's house for the first time, I found a collage of swastikas under his bed. Like all of these things started clicking and it was hilarious and bizarre. And right around this time too, I was like combing through different documents from the past on my desktop. And I came across this boy agenda that I had written when I was um, 14 about like, it was this, basically this 10 page manual that I had constructed as to how to get my first kiss with this one particular guy at my high Mm -hmm. school. And, um, you know, that like coming across that and making all of these discoveries created this structure of the boy agenda as the skeleton for this play. And then I just went with it. Right. And before we move on, um, I just wanted to, uh, so we have something that we do on the podcast um, called a really creative name is called the drawing challenge. Uh, (laughs) It's not a challenge for you. Don't worry. It's a challenge. Very, very creative uh, name. Basically it's, guest gives me uh three random items and i will try to combine them into a singular object or a scene of some kind okay and it can be like a person it like someone did harvey weinstein once so i remember yeah oh god yeah there's like harvey weinstein yeah yeah i'm a bit of a, a doodler she said the title of the show. So, <laughs> so you're an artist. <laughs> so you're an artist. Oh my god! I yeah. Didn't re- yeah, not even realize that actually. Um, okay, so I'll give you three. All right. Things. All um, right. Three nouns. Uh, uh, condom. Okay. Three raspberries as one item. Okay. <laughs> And, um, hmm, uh, ah, a mermaid. A mermaid. Okay. He's gonna have fun with this one. I actually, I had a question. Yeah. Um, what really gave you like the structure for your boy agenda, and like what made you decide all these things? Because obviously, as a fourteen-year-old, when you wrote it, you still had to do some form of research because it's not like inherent that you know these things no no that's a great question too so a little disclaimer i was actually 16 but in the show but so i (laughs) I was a sophomore in high school when this happened um and i remember i would watch all of those youtube dating advice videos growing up and like even I remember especially the howdini.com woman who would teach you how to French kiss and she'd like <laughs> hold up a cupcake and she'd like lick the frosting and be like this is how you French kiss like I was oh, <laughs> I was steeped in those videos as a young adolescent and I remember one night I found some kind of random one. Like she didn't even have a ton of followers. This old blonde woman 
giving advice. And for some reason in that moment, it really resonated with me. And I was like, this is how I do it. And she had stuff like she, she said things like, you know, make yourself approachable, um, embrace confidence and, you know, walk with confidence because that's what's attractive and, you know, pay attention to, you know, what he's paying attention to. So, you know, paying attention to signs and all of these different themes in the show that structure my show um, was a lot of what she said. And that is at like, right after that, basically I wrote this boy agenda and I gave myself a separate assignment or tactic for each day of the week because I'm anal and <laughs> was like really organized as a high schooler. You know, I was also, I was in, I was the captain of my mock trial team. And I think that also had an effect in that yeah. I like to put everything into an argument um, that was very structured and yeah. to the point. Um, and that's how, that's how young Rachel in the play operates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nice. Yeah. So, um, I mean, integrating young Rachel in there, uh, like, is that, I mean, I thought it was a, a wonderful idea and also really, um, it, it makes, I mean, especially for a one woman show, right. You have this 80 minute piece that is already, you know, um, interesting and entertaining with just you, but, uh, introducing the idea of, uh, projecting, you know, a younger, younger version of yourself, uh, mm -hmm. still played by you, like on these three panels was just, it made it so much more dynamic, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. it added an interesting element of, of movement and also, I think supplemented some of the storytelling, and you know, and added because it, it almost it seems like it almost alleviated some of the weight of the storytelling that would have also been put on you if you hadn't included this young Rachel character, um, mm -hmm. which like you know you would have just had this whole other facet of your life to kind of like talk about as well, um, mm -hmm. just introduce this whole other perspective, especially since young Rachel is the one who wrote the very thing that the show is based on. So. Was that just a given? Like, did that just pop in your head? You're like, I'm ever, I'm going to interact with a young version of myself. That was kind of a given. Um, I initially started writing the script as a back and forth. I remember for a while it got cut eventually, but it was like you, Rachel Mara Kofton, and then being young Rachel, which yeah. is how the show starts. And then um, me being old Rachel would be like, what the fuck? You know, which yeah. is also how the show starts, but then on March 13th, 2013, on December 8th, 2020, like that's kind of, mm -hmm. I created this back and forth immediately. Um, like, yeah, like that was the first, the first few lines I created um, to create this sense of, you know, time, distance between time and characters. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was always a given. I never really gave it much thought, but I do think in hindsight, it was really effective more mm. so than I was even aware of at the time, because one, it gave, it gives me breaks um, from yeah. telling the story, <laughs> right? Because I am up there for 80 minutes and it is a long running monologue, but I, I also think the boy agenda being this symbol for, you know, my innocence and um, being young and that, you know, that transition and that coming of age, that we all have to experience when we realize like, oh, reality is like not as fairy tale as we may think it is all the time. Yeah. Um, I really wanted to give a specific voice to that innocence um, that I don't think 
would sell as well if I was jumping back and forth between the two. No, I think I think you're right about that. And I think that um, works. And even then, like your the current version of you takes the reins on a couple, you know, on, on a couple interactions here and there. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, speaking to, to taking the stage by yourself for 80 minutes, I mean, that's the first one woman piece you've done, right? Aside from yeah. a monologue <laughs> in class or something. Right. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. Yeah. And I mean, how was how was that? Like, just I mean, I imagine the first time must have been pretty fucking daunting. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, well, it, it no, definitely. I it was daunting for me um, sharing my writing and performing some of it like with classes when we you do, were, you do share we a were, lot in the in the play I, I will say right that. and I do share a lot and it is very personal um but I think I mean I don't know it may I may have been more nervous had there not been a pandemic affecting everything right um, I think that if the very first time I performed Boy Vey, it was for a full audience of people rather than for a live stream of people that I had no way of gauging right. reactions. Yeah. You know, I think I think I would have been more nervous, but it was, you know, by the time I did put it up, I was so rehearsed. Um had yeah. done so much work with with my director at the time that I didn't give it much thought. And again, I I also want to go back to just kind of growing up being an only child Mm -hmm. and finding comfort in, you know, in my ability to kind of talk to myself and uh, create imaginary worlds when I was, I was also like scared of a lot growing up. I had a lot of phobias. So I really, like, I really was like inside a lot of the time creating art. Um, And yeah, it, it feels like that to me. So even if I'm nervous before, it just leaves mm-hmm. um, when I'm on stage doing my own thing. Also, because I know I have full control over it. Yeah, um, I can be kind of a control freak. And so, you know, not, not um, being so dependent on scene partners even, uh, you know, for other past productions where I've had a full ensemble, um, it, it felt better to me and it was easier to do, even though the idea of being on stage alone for 80 minutes is absolutely right. fucking terrifying. No, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Brock, as a single child, like, did you, I'm sorry for calling you out as a single child just now. Yeah. I don't know if it's something oh, like hide from the public. Um, do you like, no. I mean, did you experience uh, stuff like that too? Like, you know, a lot of, um, just... yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I was like a lot. Usually I was younger, like not so much when I got older, but eventually I I grew out of it. But yeah, it was sort of like, yeah, no, I still do that to this day. Um, No, I still don't Uh, LARP in your in your own rooms. I okay, a little little bit, actually. Well, this guy, this guy LARPs all the time. All you have to do is mention Indiana Jones. He'll start putting okay. on his costume. <laughs> I'm not going to get it. Uh, I Well, no, I mean, what I will say is like with, with me personally, I mean, I, I, um, I grew up with a younger brother and oddly enough, I've almost had like, it's like been reversed because he's been off at school for the past several months. Um, so I've been experiencing kind of being a single child, I guess at this point, since we Uh-oh. all still live together, me and my whole family. Um, right. And... 
no, it's not like I put on costumes in my room and dance around, but like I have like these really, a lot of time when I'm listening to music or something like that, I have these very, very vivid like films, movies, I guess. I start playing in my head like according to that. But like, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I have some of that too. And I think, you know, having a really vivid imagination is important. I, I think as you get older, you almost need it to be supplemented by something like, I guess in my case, music. Because um, mm-hmm. when I you're younger, that. you can just... You can go anywhere you want. And that's the thing too. You know, I think maybe solo performance lends itself a little bit to being an only child. But I think a lot of this too is just growing up being creatives, Mm -hmm. right? And having access to that, you know, and that freedom with, with just letting your thoughts wander. I remember when I read Hunger Games for the first time in middle school, I think, was it middle school? I think so. Um, And like going on a hike with my parents and in my head I was Katniss Everdeen oh, and wow. it was like so much fun and it was just a hike with my moms but, yeah. <laughs> but wow yeah totally went there um and our uh just are, are both your moms Jewish is that like with that whole thing no so um my birth mom is Jewish my my biological father is also Jewish. He's also gay. Um, this is my whole, you know, family family structure. It's uh, <laughs> unorthodox. Oh, I think and it. You know, it's one. It must have kept your life interesting. Definitely, definitely. And then um, my my other mom, uh, who yeah, who's always been my mom. Um, she was raised Catholic. So okay. raised Italian Catholic. Um, but you know, we're none of us are super like religious you know Mm. both in judaism and catholicism you know none of us are very practicing but it's definitely yeah affected the culture of my upbringing no i can see that i um in my family we're all over the place if you walk through my house you'll see like there's a thing of jesus but there's also a statue of buddha but there's also zeus like (laughs) greek mythology and then a picture of a dragon like it's like it's all mythologically it's all over the place so i guess i was never i was never raised not spiritual like i i wouldn't certainly call myself atheist but not i don't subscribe to anything (laughs) any one thing Mm -hmm. pick and choose the ideas i like um just another connection i found uh between you and you know that younger self creating these worlds is that that you have complete control of everything and just especially when it comes to first executing your first creative works i guess if you're more performance-based you're like directing, acting, in my case, editing, and like doing everything yourself. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So hey, maybe you're gonna direct something down the line. Uh, maybe, maybe I yeah. It's the aspect of control is interesting um, in yeah. how it plays out in the show because you know I still struggle with that, and I, I think you know it's a blessing and a curse, right? Yeah, it's yeah. really advanced me in certain ways and um hindered me in others mainly in terms of just like creating a ton of stress but <laughs> yeah but i you know a lot of what the show is about is actually how at the end of the day we can't really control sure outcomes we there aren't formulas for everything and that's a scary thing and that i think is something that everyone has to come to terms with to a certain extent as they're growing up short I mean in terms of being a blessing and a curse you find like you know it's a blessing because you learn how to do everything um Mm. and 
it's a curse because then you stretch yourself in too many directions. And one of the things that I'm trying to get better about that I've been trying to get better about for the last couple of years is relinquishing control to someone else and they will take oh, care he of. He does not do that. Thing. Hey, I do it now with you and the sound. All right. Yeah. Whenever you do about the recording it, yeah. and stuff on my on on my shorts, but like yeah, I mean I have this tendency to just want to know everything about everything about what's Be going like on. Like a in any tentric project. pony, basically. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's stressful. And then you just you don't you're like I'm gonna I'm you start getting dizzy and you know mm-hmm. you burn out you burn out. Yeah, he gets yeah. dizzy as well because um, he doesn't eat or drink when he has to do a project. What are oh, you, my dad. All right. Yeah, yeah, because it's important. It needs to be called out. I guess I'm not eating, but like drink water, like at the very least. I know. Hydrate. Um, I mean, so how what did like did you face any roadblocks with Boyve for that? Like, um, in my my first director, you know, for the when the show was initially my senior thesis, and it was live streamed rather than put on in person. Right. We'll shout her uh, out, Katie. Right. Katie, Katie Saldemeyer. Yeah. I miss you. I love you. Um, but she was very adamant about, especially towards like the end of the process when we started getting into tech week and everything. Like she was very adamant that I take off the producer hat, that I, you know, take off the writer's hat and sure. that I just focus on my acting. And at first that was really hard for me. I was like, no, no, I, I like, I want to be included. I want to assert my control right um but i you know in hindsight i'm so happy she did that because again like yeah i mean it just created more trust between me and the designers and the whole team um and it made life a little easier much easier for tech week leading up to that performance um i think it's always a balance though you Mm. know i because i yeah, there are moments too where I'm like, I can be asserting myself more because this is my show, mm-hmm. you know? And it's it's an interesting thing when um, so many people look over the script and so many people critique your performance and this is just something we go through as artists, everyone. You are always going to have eyes on your piece in yeah. one way or another. And discerning what you take and what you leave behind and disregard is um, still a challenge for me. I'm still trying to find that balance of like, how much do I let someone else take and how much do I take myself? You seemed fine with it. I mean, when I was working on the show, like it's just, there was, I I think a healthy balance. Um, Well, I also know nothing about projections, so (laughs) there was no way I was going (laughs) to. I'll let you in on a little secret now that the show's done. And neither did I. Uh, That is amazing. (laughs) Holy crapola. There was a lot of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, you did a great job. Thank you. There was a lot of stuff that um, I was like, all right, just got to learn this right here, right now. Um, The nice thing is like you guys knew what you wanted. And when I say you guys, I mean like you and Dana, because, you know, you guys, it was, you know, writer and she's directing. So this Mm -hmm. passive is directed by Dana Resnick, um, who is great. Dana, if you hear this, thank you so much for passing my name around uh, at the school. Yeah, Yeah, I've been getting texts from like students um, being like, hey, can you edit this? Can you shoot this? So it's great. 
having a nice balance of like knowing what you want and then also allowing, you know, enough creative expression of the person you hire because at the very beginning, um, I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound negative, but like I had no personal connection to the show up until after a couple days of working on it. Um, yeah. So there's some jobs that like, they're like, I don't know, you just do your thing. Just give me back something like this. And I'm like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Don't come Mm. crying to me if you hate it. But like, um, or there are also ones that want something so specific where I'm like, all right, you got to sit down with me and do this because I'm not going to go back and forth, you know, for forever, like right. sending you four thousand, you know, 400,000 passes of like this, this thing. I mean, I just remember during Tech Week, there being this really cool collaboration that started. Um, and Dana, I mean, Dana wasn't even there for the first few days of Tech right. due to COVID scares and whatnot. Yeah. But, you know, between you, me and Sam and just you know, saying, let's rerun this. Um, what about this? What if we tweak this and the sound? And um, how about that coloring? What do you think of that? Like, that was very empowering for me mm-hmm. um, and comforting in that I knew I was like, oh, this is going to get put together because we're working together, right? right. And and, I, and then I think Dana, you know, with her many more years of experience, you know, when she mm-hmm. came in and was like, actually, no, I don't want it that way. You know, putting that director hat on and, and like asserting her creative, you know, for me at first, I remember feeling kind of freaked out by that. Like, Oh, but we just like figured it out, you know? (laughs) But I think that was also part of the cool balance was like, you know, us working together more as peers and beginners in this field and then her coming in and saying, let's take it a step further. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I guess I feel like we've just got to shout out your uh, your team was fantastic. I mean, the set design, which was um, J- Josh, right? Did did he do all Josh of it? Josh Lacour and yeah. Kate Chapman. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, their mixture of physical set design, prop design, and they also handled graphic design. That was, that's a lot. <laughs> like, and that's, I mean, it's well it's done. A lot that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, they did a really oh. good job. Yeah, they did a great job. Just uh, so you mentioned, of course, this interest for acting and writing, creating worlds stemmed from, you know, being a a single child and creating these worlds and stuff like that. But I guess where was it? Where did that turning point, that click where you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Like, this is Mm. my thing. Where did that happen? Yeah, I call this my rite of passage in a funny way. Um, It was. It really was in seventh grade when I played Hevia in an all girls middle school version of Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. <laughs> and there was something about assuming this big iconic role, mm-hmm. uh, even, you know, in the context of a middle school production that rocked my world. And middle school was really, you know, even though I had put on productions for my family and like you know was in all the plays in elementary school like prior to middle school it it was my middle school experience and the teachers I had that really saw it as a gift for the first time and when they noticed me it was like I noticed myself yeah Um, yeah and that's also when a lot of my phobias from you know, early childhood kind of started going away or when I really started working on them. Um, And so my confidence just increased in seventh grade. And so having this big role um, go hand in hand, it was, 
it was kind of like life-changing for me and definitely put me on the course of like, oh, I'm a, I'm a theater kid, yeah. no, but, like, but I'm, I'm going to do this. I, um, I'm an artist. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, did you have someone like one, that uh, one? Yes. I've, I mean, I've had many. Yeah, of course. Um, but I'm trying to think like around that time. Um, who was I really into? God. Uh, Barbara Streisand, honestly. <laughs> I still am really into she Barbara is... Streisand. I, I need so, to see more I'm, of her. I'm an old school girl. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, I, I want to see more of her like older, more serious work. Um, cause yeah. like, and I'm, by serious, I mean like her dramas and stuff. Cause I think the first thing I saw Barbara Streisand, it was meet the Fockers, which. Oh my God. Which is, yeah, is just kind of a horrible so... movie. She, but she's so funny. She's, she's so funny. So funny in that. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely like back then my muse was Barbara, Barbara Babs. Um, <laughs> now it's kind of shifting, interestingly enough to writers more right. so sure. than performers and I think that's because I'm at this point in my life now where I'm like oh, I've done so much acting training and I've been so steeped in like theater and identifying myself as an actor and now I'm starting to realize oh writing can be part of that oh writing can be my way in with certain um, opportunities and so my current just obsession and hero is Glennon Doyle who wrote Untamed um and she's married to Abby Wambach I'm obsessed with their relationship and and all of what she stands for um she's an empowering feminist author also a lesbian um well bisexual she was married to a man for a long time but um I really I'm like ah I want to be her she actually is a great podcast too um, that I listen to a lot, Sick. but that's been kind of an interesting thing for me where I'm like, oh, I'm starting to get more inspired by writers. Sure. What does that say about my path? Hmm. I don't uh, know. Let's, let's plug the LMU theater program here. What, how'd you end up there? Oh, great question. I wanted to be in LA. I was pretty sure I wanted to be like in LA or on the East Coast, but the East Coast kind of scared me at the time because again, I'm from Seattle. So it's like, oh, it's yeah, so the far. East, the East Coast is, you know, I think the East Coast frightens pretty much anyone yeah. from out here yeah. on the West Coast. <laughs> the question so, would be though, like where in the East Coast would you have gone? For well, an actor in New York? I, New York, right? But I was actually choosing ultimately between LMU and Emerson College's BFA yeah. acting program. Are you like, I clocked it. She's an Emerson gal. Uh, yeah, my mom went to Emerson and I actually applied to Emerson for okay. the film program. Uh, wow. Didn't get in, but uh, you know. They missed <laughs> my, out. my application film was not great anyway, so it oh. makes sense. <laughs> I want to see it. Uh, yeah, you so I, get mean, to I was, see it, so I was kind of... <laughs> You know, I was trying to decide between do I want the conservatory experience or do I want to be on a campus with a variety of different students and interests and I I chose the latter because, you know, I, even though I'm an actor, I don't particularly like just surrounding myself with other actors. Um, Sati, I'm sure you can relate to that. But I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to say, 
My, I <laughs> vowed to stay vanilla and opinionless on this podcast so that I would not oh, anger anyone. <laughs> even though we were talking about religion a little, little ways back, but you yeah, know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, no. Well, I mean, I, I get it. No, being surrounded by an oversaturation of actors, and it's not. It's just, it's the. I think the like the big unfortunate thing is just there's so much ego passed around among. Um, actors these days yeah. a lot of and i'm not i'm not i'm trying not to generalize guys if you're an actor listening i wholly support you go read go audition yeah me you know. too but me um, too it can just be a group dynamic it's not even any one person you know i yeah. just think that, um when we're all kind of vying for the to be the center of attention right because that's yeah. kind of our job mm. it can get tricky and it can definitely like lead to my burning out just on a social front on a social level um but i i yeah so i i mean i i narrowed it down like i want to be la um and i had like toured i remember i had toured occidental but i didn't really like the the vibe on campus for whatever reason it was just like a hunt nothing particular happened really um and then when i went to tour lmu you know Campus is beautiful. Oh, for L- I think LMU has Gorgeous. probably the nicest campus in LA. Yeah, like, yeah, gorgeous. I think so too. It's my right. mom calls it the club med of campuses. Yeah, because um, that's kind of what it is. And I remember just the day I was there, it was like a perfectly sunny day, like seventies weather, you know, and no, no fog. You could see everything from the bluff, and um, there were so many projects happening just in the quad. Yes. Like there was a film project happening in Sunken Gardens and there were like dance majors rehearsing something in this other corner. And, you know, all of these different creatives that I just saw doing their thing. And it's not like it was like planted there for me as a, as a potential student. Um, and that was really exciting for me. So yeah, a hundred percent. Cause like when, okay. So I toured a bunch of schools, film programs when I was in like late high school um, and I won't say where, but I went to a couple of them and their film schools were just dead. Like there was no one there. I didn't really see much happening. The campus just seemed abandoned. Uh, yeah. and then I went to LMU. I walked into the SFTV building, which unfortunately I didn't get into SFTV, but Hey, it's fine. I, I loved the, my time in the theater school and I met a bunch of like really great people. So, um, when I walked into that, the film building, there was just someone like just was pushing a, a, a grip dolly like right past me and stuff. I was like, whoa, like there's just so much happening. It was just yeah. it was like the um, the whole like classic, you know, being pushed into the big city moment, you know, as yeah. like, getting off, yeah, hopping off the bus. Yeah, it's totally how it felt. Yeah. And it's I like, th- oh, I'm not in Kansas anymore. OK. Right. And <laughs> I think, well, that's and I think that's really attractive because it's like it's that just having this just this big, I don't know, just having this big wave of activity, this big hub of people all creating something, no matter what their attitude is about it, because God knows you meet some assholes on set. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> but um, a great deal of it is fueled by just wanting to be at the top, wanting to be the one on the talk shows, wanting to be. God knows, I would love to be on a talk show. I will say that. I would love to be interviewed by Conan O'Brien. But... You- Right. That can't happen anymore. The Conan show ended. All right. Well, one day I'll... (laughs) On his reboot show. I always wanted to be on Ellen, but hey, that's ending too, so... It's okay. There's there's new ones. Graham Norton, he'll be around forever. There's going to be a new Ellen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but still, like you know, that's not what fuels the, you know, the the drive to actually want to do it. It's just because, like, I mean, what else am I? A lot of the time, because like, <laughs> I don't know if you get this too. People ask you, it's like, why do you want to? Like, what what fuels you? What's your inspiration? I go like, because I don't want to do anything else. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what else I do. <laughs> Yeah, because this is the one thing that is not, you know, doesn't hasn't gotten boring after a while for me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I I agree with that to an extent. The only thing I'm going to say is that when before I'd say prior to college, I guess, and even like freshman year of college, I always had this mindset of like acting is the only thing I want to do and can do. And I am going to, you know, do the shows and I'm going to get discovered and I'm going to have my big break and I'm going to win an Oscar. Like yeah. that was my narrative. <laughs> and I mean, it's a pretty good narrative to have though. It, yeah. And it works for some people, but who oh, does not work for me, nor is it anything that sounds remotely attractive to me sure. um, at this point in my life where I, I mean, it'd be really nice to win an Oscar someday. Not going to lie, but like, sure. No, of course. But also, um, I actually, I've discovered that I have a harder time if I like tell myself that I can only act, it like makes me kind of not want to act. So I kind of have to do a weird reverse psychology thing with myself. Um, but it's always, you know, it is one of those things I feel like on the flip side, whenever I'm kind of doubting, myself in it or doubting it as a career path something happens Mm -hmm. to remind me no you're where you're supposed to be I mean do you have a story like something that you know Um, that happened I honestly may have been like that heartbreak I went through that I alluded to earlier but I was just like "Mm, you're worthless why why do you think you can make it and I got a call on my phone from one of my professors one of my acting professors and she was like like right when I was in my car like having a moment and Mm -hmm. I was like uh hello and and she was like hi like I just want to you know reach out and let you know like you you're one of my strongest students and I think you should do it it was she didn't say it she didn't just come out and say that but she was like you know I really like your work in class and um there's this opportunity to perform you know, a monologue with a number of students at this festival, would you be interested in going? Okay. And it was, it was like not even a big thing really at all, but it was like, oh, she thought of me. She like reached out and yeah. wanted to tell me that I should do this. Hey, that always and feels good. It always feels good. Right. It's yeah. I mean, again, like even the teachers in middle school, like noticing that I had a gift made me notice that oh, maybe this is something I could do. Um, right. So I don't know. That's just the first one that comes to mind. There have been other things too. And no, it's not course. always like words of praise or anything. Like it doesn't have to be that. Sometimes it's very spiritual too, but. I do have one thing I want to ask you, but Brock is, is that uh, one last thing? Brock, yeah. is it done? It's done. All oh, right. I'm ready. I, I don't like it, but it's done. <laughs> <laughs> just talking right. about artists and their work and he goes yeah i don't like my art here <laughs> I don't yeah like right it. okay right. i need uh, to take a picture of this here you go. oh we're gonna send it to you wait ah! so she has a raspberry crown and a raspberry bra and Brilliant. she's a condom mermaid she's a condom mermaid <laughs> oh my it's a fair God. bit of branding there condom mermaid what's she holding um, oh she holding condom uh, she's holding a giant pack it's it's xxxl 
Exhale. Wow. And then a, a box like of raspberries. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that would hurt. I would bleed probably. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, speaking to. <laughs> yeah, just leg size condom inside. <laughs> it would just split you in half. I okay. Think. Well, speaking to. So the show. Okay. So I mean, I, we'd be like. I feel like we'd be just skirting around the topic too much if we didn't bring it up but like i there's so there's a couple awkward uh encounters with men that you've had in the show and i just wanted to like so we're two and i wanted to ask about let me know if they're if if they're ones that you'd prefer to keep you know on the down low uh Uh that's okay but the first one was with the kid um in when you were like what 16 who's when you did find that thing in his drawer the drawing the drawing yep was that that's just how that, that went? Or so like, that, yeah, that's how that went. Um, he actually turned out to be my high school boyfriend for like a year and a few months. After that? Um, after that. Wow. Which wow. I know. I know. You're a very forgiving uh, person. I, I was about to say, I, I guess I'm a pretty accepting, forgiving soul. But yeah. <laughs> no, so we went to his place and no one was home and he did like go to the bathroom or something. So I was just like left in his room alone. Yeah, it's in pretty, show, I mean, I'll tell you from the, the male show, perspective, I'm pretty sure what he would left to, you know, pretty sure I know what he yeah, left to do, right. but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, you know, that's also part of the show. But, yeah. but, um, that's a funny scene. That reads the whole, okay, good, the, good, the good. trying to move your yeah, shirt over it. I was, like, I was yeah. like, there's a point when I think I asked you and Sam, actually, I was like, how would a guy like try to cover up a boner? And you guys were like, ah, like maybe like pull your shirt down. I was like, okay, good, good, good. Okay, <laughs> Stack of books if it's at school. <laughs> uh but like but um yeah so i you know in the show for comedic effects we you know we have me like snooping around his room and like you know purposefully trying to like find shit in Mm. there i want to vouch for myself a little bit in that i am not a big snooper i do not do that (laughs) this this painting this like swastika collage was on was visible under his it was like his um he had a tv right by his bed and it was like beneath some books and stuff like um not the tv drawer it was like tv stand right Right. it was like right in there and so i could see like the corner of a swastika sticking out and i was like what the fuck is that and it looked homemade you know so which was even creepier so i pulled it out and it was this big like painted collage of swastikas and then he comes out of the bathroom and I you know I'm freaking out I'm like god could he like be kind of steeped in in this shit like is he into neo-nazism like what what the fuck is going on um and he was like oh no it's just a history day project I'm really really sorry though like um you know yeah yeah I could see why that would freak you out and then I Honestly, I, I blanked after that. I don't know like how we yeah. went from there to making out on his bed, but that was the series of events more or less. <laughs> that, yeah, I just, I mean, but uh, the second story, which I couldn't believe was real, um, <laughs> was with uh, uh, about, can, can I tease this one a little bit? You, yeah, yeah. I can tease it. Yeah, he, I mean, his identity is not going to be disclosed. No, of course right? I get. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah but yeah, I mean, so you, can, you can tease him a little bit. Well, well, <laughs> I just meant like not, not like make fun of him. Can I just tease it for the audience? Of course, oh, I want them to see it. it. Yeah. Yes, 
Yes. Yeah. I was like, go ahead, tease him. No, I'm not gonna. No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> can't say it and judge him a little out. bit, but like, whatever. He's eight. He's. I mean, this happened freshman year of school at 18 years old. 18 year olds are morons. Freshman year of college. Sorry, guys, yeah. but like, if no, there are any true, freshmen are. listening, you guys need to, like, you think you got the grow way. up. You Heather, yeah, but you, you will. Like, eventually, you will. But like, no, I just, there's something like, I mean, when I was 18, I was the same way. You kind of like think, you know, everything you think you've got the world, like just by the balls. And then a couple years later, you realize, oh no, I, oh God, no. Like, you're like, oh shit, there's still so much left. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't even the, know how to do my taxes yet. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how to do my taxes. Uh, <laughs> there is, yeah, there's, hey guys, we're the next generation. It's nice to meet you. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the three of us don't not do our taxes. No, but that's so, why we have H and R block. Whole yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was with the gentleman who um, identified himself as uh, as a dom. Which did he even know what that actually mean? No, I guess he kind of. I knew don't what it meant. think so. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I don't think either of us knew what it meant. Yeah. You know. <laughs> right. I think it's funny that he like identified as. He's like, this is my identity. You're like, okay, bud. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> chill and he out. like. He told me, like, we went out to get lunch at the Lair, I remember, which is, like, the big kind of, like, cafeteria area on campus. We went to get lunch one day after this Holocaust literature and film class that we met in, which is how it's connected to the Holocaust, this hookup. Right. But, right, but he, like, I remember, yeah, he he told me, he was like, I am a dom. Because by that point, we were flirting and kind of like entertaining the idea of like sure hooking up like going out um i had invited him to like a like a date night for my sorority at the time um can't believe i was ever in a sorority but (laughs) but yeah so you know we were playing around and yeah he said he was dom and he said explicitly too that girls had called him the gateway because once they had him they wanted everything or something like uh-huh, sure. hey he's in a great relationship now we're, we're sure, friends yeah. again yeah no. i, no, I want to i do want to be and also oh, no, he's not and it, anymore it was so nice of him also anymore. to like you know be like cool with you telling the story and actually lending like a physical prop which i won't say which one it was but because right, it's right. dirty but just because no it's show. yeah he and that's a physical pro- yeah totally it's like we we did not work sexually together at all. And we both realized that fairly quickly after the event. Um, yeah, but no. after, that, after that, we had like some affection for each other. Sure. And I'm really happy that, you know, it wasn't so such a traumatic event for, sure. for me, I guess, um, that, you know, I, I mean, I was also just kind of fascinated in the moment as it was happening. And we talked for like hours after that of me just being like, whoa, so like, what's your story? And I, I, I was just as weird, you know, mm. I was like kind of egging him on in a certain yeah. way because I was so curious about this new world of college and hooking sure. up. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there was just like, there was one line that had me like, I had to everything i could not to like bust out laughing and ruin the show but the uh, or like like while filming um uh which was the sorry i just had to get my like angry energy oh, out yeah. do you have any sorry. questions do you have any questions <laughs> 
Yeah, he literally <laughs> asked me that. Do and you have I, any questions? Do you have any questions? And I literally did ask him, what is wrong with you? And then he kind of went into his history of like, you know, becoming a dominant man in the bedroom and all of this stuff. <laughs> but I was like, okay, this is kind of bullshit. But I just, it know. was, it gave me the vibes of, and I think the reason it was so funny is because it just felt too real. Like, give me the vibes of like that TikTok biting the lower lip or, you know, like... Oh, yeah. Those oh, videos yeah. those guys makes where they're, they're shirtless, their hair spiked yeah. up, and they're just smoldering at the camera for 30 seconds. <laughs> I do. I also, I do kind of hype him up to be more of that archetype in the show. Sure. sure. And it, you oh, know what? It works. It totally modernizes totally it, sure. like in a way that yeah. the audience is like, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yes. Yes. Um, it's a very identifiable, yeah. uh, relatable character. <laughs> well, I mean, that, I think that's a good place to, to put a pin in it. I, I feel like we've teased the show enough to the place where like, guys, go check it out. Go check the shit out. It's a great, uh, it's, it's really funny. Uh, it's entertaining. Those 80 minutes also just fly right by. Um, and it's also, uh, it's also really insightful. I think the show it's, it's really, it offers us like a, um, it's just like where, where like this generational trauma is just unreconcilable with anything. It's this whole big because like the the outside perspective that that we're given especially as like you know um people who are not jewish is that it's just this thing that you guys have to carry on your backs your whole lives i mean the show just kind of tells us like that's not oh, entirely the case that it's like right. it's there but just like that you can live <laughs> you can enjoy your life you know like like you can right and with each generation too you know that's so much of the research that I did I I kind of made a vow to myself in writing this show that I knew was very like ping pong back and forth between sex holocaust sex holocaust you know yeah. to like know what I was talking about in terms of the intergenerational trauma aspect of it and um yeah I mean you know the farther the farther we get from the colossal event that was the Holocaust, yeah. you know, the, the more we're seeing, you know, younger generations of Jews creating art around it and creating, yeah. um, you know, kind of interesting positivity from it for their own lives. Um, well, sure, because creating more of a story, uh, I mean, of course, while it was a tragedy, creating a story of resilience yeah. around it too. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. Just kind of, finding yeah um finding power yeah power in um identity and path in so boy is all that and more uh <laughs> it's a wonderful show it's playing i will we'll, we'll give you guys the dates in a minute you guys stick around for the next five minutes all right just keep listening we'll give you the dates and, the, <laughs> uh, and all that information real soon um rachel seriously thank you so much for sitting wow we almost went 90 minutes well thank you so much Woo! for uh sitting down um and chatting with us being our first episode back um thank you so much i am really honored i am oh absolutely i was just like after you know after the first couple of days of of us working together i was like ah oh, she's I've, we've got to talk to her like there's just there's so much more here um <laughs> and uh yeah and you're welcome back anytime thank you guys yeah, absolutely thank you for your drawing brock um, thank you <laughs> thank you for all the really insightful questions too i had a lot of fun in thinking about those things and yeah, just, you know, going down memory lane for myself. It's sure. reminding myself of, you know, why I'm putting on this show, right? Because that's it does get all we so. aim to do is remind yep. people of why they do anything. All right. Have a good rest of your evening, Rachel. Awesome. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of So You're an Artist. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Rachel just as much as we did. All right, never miss an episode of So You're an Artist by subscribing to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or honestly, wherever you get your podcast. Brock, where can they keep up with us for updates, uh, drawing challenges, and behind the scenes and more? Keep up with us on Instagram at artist.pod and on Twitter at artist underscore pod. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. If you don't leave us a five-star review, maybe we'll just go ahead and, um, you know. We'll bin it. Bin it? Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. We're going <laughs> to catch you guys uh, uh, real soon. Uh, we're really happy to be back and doing this again. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I expect the next interview uh, hopefully within uh, within two weeks. You know, we're just uh, getting this thing yeah. underway. I don't know why I'm talking like this, but... Uh, yeah. All right. We've wasted so much of your time with this intro and outro thing. Just skip it. Just just skip it. Just do the just, interview. Just go to the end.